The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And welcome back to the First Cut Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Kyle Porter. I'm Chip Patterson, and uh, we're here. Remember, this is the beginning. The beginning of three, count them up, one, two, three episodes per week, and that's what we're hitting you with here in the the real prime of the golf season. You might feel like it's postseason time in the NBA or NHL. Maybe it's feeling like offseason if you're nothing but college sports, though shout out to my college baseball people. Y'all are diehards. But this is like <laughs> right in the thick of it right now, uh, Kyle, as, uh, as we are sitting here again just you know about two and a half weeks away from the PGA Championship. Dude, how diehard are college baseball people? You, I mean, that's why it's only got to be like your certain powerhouse programs. SEC fans get really into it. Um, Pac-12, I guess, it gets pretty serious. And then in the ACC, it's a little bit spotty. What's it like in Big 12 country? Uh, probably more like ACC. Like based on a, a program-specific intensity? Yeah, yeah. Or not even that, but just like how good a, a team is at, at any even. I mean... I played college baseball and I'm like, uh, when's the college world series? Actually, when's the, when's the last game? Can I watch that? (laughs) Can I watch the best of three series at the end? I, I, when I was in college, uh, North Carolina had a pretty good run. It was when they were in the college world series, like two or three years in a row, they made it to Omaha, played against Oregon state, I think in back to back years. And I'll say that socially, you know, just like as I'm excited about this Hurricanes run, socially it, it it adds some excitement and some life that wasn't necessarily on the calendar. But you weren't going to sure, catch yeah. me. You weren't going to catch me at any of the early season uh, in the, at the early season series against Liberty. So you you weren't breaking down like that UNC McNeese State, you know, three gamer. Yeah, or like really sweating it out what it was going to be like. Uh, if 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 there was a washout and we were going to have to figure out how to how to make our RPI good again for the selection committee, yeah, was that the Carolina team that had uh, how old was his name uh, Andrew Miller? Yes, Andy, was that was that his name? Yeah, Andrew Miller went on to be a pretty successful pitcher for the Red Sox, maybe, and some yeah, other he teams. Was good, they had some really good arms on on some of those teams. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, this is the, this is the podcast you come, come to for North Carolina baseball. <laughs> um, okay. So later in the show, we're going to have good friend, Sean Martin of PGA tour.com, but now a little bit of uh, fun, fun trivia, uh, some, some look back through the history books. That's what, uh, we're going to be rocking that here on Tuesdays. So Kyle, what is our, what is our, on this date? What's our April 30th moment from golf's history? Well, North Carolina baseball back in 19. 19- now I'm just kidding. Uh, by the way, I didn't, I didn't, I, I unintentionally sort of threw a bunch of like historical stuff into the same day when I was kind of making a production production schedule for our new 
um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday deal. But uh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to look back. We got a couple of leaderboards I want to look back on uh, from past majors. But on this date, April 30th, 1961, this is pretty obscure, but I think people will like it. Mickey Wright won her fifth major championship. It was called the Title Holders Championship. And here's the thing that got me about this. I, I didn't know this. I, I didn't, it, it's, I don't know a ton about like the history of women's majors, but it was actually, it was actually a tournament that was started in the 1930s and it was started in Augusta. It was, it was like a, I don't know if it was like a sister event to the masters, but it was started in Augusta in 1937 and it was played at Augusta country club. And that would have been uh, in, and since we're on this date, we would have at least been in the, in the wake of masters fever around Augusta. Yeah. Right. And like the masters, I think we do this thing where we're like, oh, it's always been as big of a deal as it is now, but that's not true. And so I don't know if these were, I don't know. It would be interesting to go back and look and and see if these were like kind of equal events. You know, the title holders championship sort of petered out in in the sixties, later in the sixties. But yeah, Mickey Wright, who Ben Hogan said uh, had the best swing he had ever seen. Uh, won the title holders championship on April 30th, 1961. Can you guess you might have the the sheet pulled up, but do you know how many majors Mickey Wright won in her career? This was number five. How many did she win total? Seven. 13. So after 1961 title holders championship, there were eight more. Uh, yeah, she, she basically had, so she retired at age 34, she, which, Sick. Is, which is crazy. She won 82 times on the PGA tour, 80 of them in like this 12 year span. And she played a little after she retired, but she, she had like a foot injury or something. She basically had Tiger's career. Yeah, I was going to say she's got Sam Snead and Tiger Woods type numbers right now. Well, but like Tiger had that career essentially, not, not completely, but more or less, especially the majors, through age 34. She was basically Tiger uh, at, at kind of the same pacing, the same ages, which is which is nuts. Mickey Wright, the Tiger Woods of the LPGA, congrats to yeah. you on winning your fifth of 13 majors on this date, April 30th in 1961. And shout out to the, 19, the, the Tiger Holders Championship, which, uh, which man, there's, if you've got some stories that have been passed down, we're going to keep the... Uh, we're going to keep the, the old folk history alive of uh, oral traditions. If you've got any title holders <laughs> championship stories from Augusta, uh, the DMs are wide open. Slide up in there. <laughs> I think it's cool. It, it's, it's so – we always think of Augusta as like, on, like only Augusta National exists there. But Augusta Country Club is – you know, it's got some history. It's, it's like right next door. It doesn't – I mean, obviously, it doesn't get the attention or whatever, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Holy right. Four! All right, now let's go to our major fact of the week. We'll be taking a look back at some leaderboards. And uh, and where are we going first, Kyle? So this is one of my favorite things to do. Sometimes I'll just get lost in old major leaderboards. Um, it's easy to do because Wikipedia, they have it all sort of cataloged by major and then also like each round's leaderboard which is awesome to look at but then also they have this cool thing and people who 
have done this know what I'm talking about, but they have this cool thing at the very bottom where they take you through the final round, which I don't know who puts this stuff on Wikipedia. Who's like grinding out every single score from every major of the last 50 years? Well, is it Justin Ray? It, it Well, yes, it should be. It's not Justin Ray because Justin Ray is just, just the leaderboard and the actual strokes is too pedestrian and layman for Justin Ray. Justin Ray wants to know the strokes gained on every single shot and every single hole yeah. from throughout the entire majors history. But for a, yeah, for a sport like golf might only be not and, and I don't know uh whether you would you would put these two together, but golf and baseball are, are gonna be ones that are gonna have the passion in in securing the history, right? Like golf golf is gonna be very intense in terms of making sure that the history is logged. There's a lot of college football seasons and and college basketball seasons and and maybe even for smaller less historical franchises even professional seasons where like an entire year is summed up by off to a bad start, lost the first four games, rallied a little bit and made the bowl game at 6 and 6 and lost it. I think that in golf we do I don't, I want to see if you agree with this because I know you sort of tangentially follow other sports as well. I think we do a pretty actually bad job of telling the story of the sport through numbers. And I think I, I, I honestly, I, I think we're in a little bit of this place where baseball used to be at the start of all the sabermetric stuff. And it's like, here's all the numbers, figure it out. Ah. Uh, we don't, we don't know how to tell the story. And like, and I'm saying that as somebody who do, who does a bad job of telling it. And I think that, I think that golf is, it's so interesting because you can do like you can compare stuff pretty. Yeah, I don't know about easily because I do think golf is better and more competitive now. But historically, like you can come, you can, you can compare guys from like 2019 to 1919, which is very unique among sports. And I just think we do a bad job overall of kind of telling that story through numbers. So where are we going uh, to take a look back at the leaderboard today? Yeah, so what I was actually going to say, at the bottom of the uh, of the Wikipedia page on each major, it takes you through the final round and like what each player did by hole, which is is awesome. It's so interesting, and I get lost on these all the time. Anyway, Tiger won uh, the 2002 U.S. Open at Bethpage. Bethpage is sort of our uh, center point because obviously PGA Championship on CBS Sports coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tiger ended up winning the 2002 US Open there. Do you know who came in second? At the 2002 US Open? At Bethpage, yeah. Sergio? Sergio came in fourth. Mm, I don't remember then. Phil Mickelson. I think he was the only time... I think he was the only time they finished first and second at, at a major. Were they in the same group heading into it? I don't believe so. No, no, no. We had Tiger and Sergio in the final group. That's probably why okay. I thought that. Because Mickelson started, yeah. So Sergio started the final round at one under. Tiger started at five under. Uh, and they were the top two, I think, going into, yeah, they were the top two going into the, and then Jeff Maggart and Phil Mickelson were in the in the second to last group. But this board is, it, so it goes Tiger, Phil, then you got Jeff Maggart and Sergio. Then you've got, this is, this is incredible, Nick Faldo finished T5. 
Scott Hoke, Billy Mayfair, Tom Byron, Padre Carrington, uh, and then Nick Price rounds out the the top ten there. Uh, the one that stuck out to me though was Faldo, and obviously like he was still playing and successful. But I just I think there's this weird thing of um, depending on what generation you're in, you you just initially think of uh, like players turn broadcasters. Like if you're from my generation, probably your first thought about Nick Faldo is as a broadcaster. Ooh, but if you're from my, really, I think so. Not Norman, parents, huh? Not Norman. I mean, maybe, but I'm, I'm like, I'm not like, look, Faldo was awesome. And I don't, I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying like, what's your first inclination when you hear somebody's name? Right. I've, I felt like that I, I disrespect, not disrespected, but I overlooked Faldo's actual success and the other parts of his hall of fame career because the, I was a, I was a Greg, I was a childhood Greg Norman fan. And so Mm. I had like deep memories of him winning and you know, I don't think that I had the idea of a worthy or unworthy champion at that point in my tiny little still developing brain, but I, I it certainly was uh, was looking at him tied to that moment rather than the actual successes that he had by the time he moved into the broadcasting booth. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting too, because like think about Johnny Miller. I didn't even like, really see him as a player and so i definitely think of him first as a broadcaster but my grandfather probably thinks of him first as a great player from the 60s and 70s do you know what i love about nick faldo in this uh u.s open in 2002 what's that that he just had an absolutely manic four rounds he went 76 on second round 66 on saturday yeah, 10 strokes better. It's incredible. And and how about this? It was his second to last. He only had one more top 10 in a major after this. He only made one, two, three, four, six more cuts at majors after this. Dang. Like this was kind of this was kind of the end, you know? And and he won the 96 Masters was his last major win, and he only had four top 10s after that, and one of them was at Bethpage in 2002. Mm. And is this uh right when we are in like uh, like this. This is kind of a prime U.S. Open scoring, right? Where Tiger wins it by three strokes at three under, and then things quickly on the leaderboard. Like by the time you get down to T eight, we're we're looking at two eighty six, six over as your final score. Yeah. So if you shoot, uh, well, I guess par would have been seventy. So seventy. So if you shoot, you know, four. 71s you're like kind of in it right which is hilarious very i mean because it because it's you know i mean it's just yeah it's a u.s open it's a u.s we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna see this 2002-esque uh leaderboard i mean this 2002-esque scoring at the top of the leaderboard i do not believe when we get to beth page for the pga championship in a couple weeks no, no, I don't think so. Uh, speaking of Beth Page, I got the two, I got the O nine leaderboard. Also, you ready for that? All right, let's do it. So Lucas Glover wins because Ricky Barnes shot a seventy six in the final round. So Glover wins. Uh, T two is Ricky Barnes, David Duvall, who actually looked like he was going to win for a while on Sunday, or I guess they finished on Monday, I think. And then Phil, they were all T two, and then Ross Fisher was fifth alone, which is hilarious. Then T6 is Soren Hansen, Hunter Mahan, and Tiger. Tiger shot 74, 69, 68, 69. 
and uh, lost by four. Henrik Stenson was ninth alone, and then T10 is just an amalgamation of incredible names. Steven Ames, Matt Bettencourt, Sergio, Rory, Ryan Moore, and Mike Weir. Rory! Yeah, Rory had the round of the day on Sunday. He shot a 68 on Sunday. Wow. So Mike Weir opened... Mike Weir on Thursday afternoon led the 2009 U.S. Open with a 64. And then Lucas Glover went 64 on Friday. Yeah. Or in the second round. Glover went 69-64. And uh, Weir went 64-70. So Weir was kind of in it for you know, throughout, but he shot a 74 on, on the third round. Um, so this one was interesting because I was looking at the, the leaderboard at the, at the, um, like kind of how the final round played out and Duvall started at three under in the final round. So he was three under, he trailed Ricky Barnes by five and, and Lucas Glover by four. He triples or he bogeys the first, he triples the, third so he's just out of it but then he makes he has this run on the back nine where he makes three birdies in a row on 14 to 16 and he's like tied for the lead with glover glover was a hole behind and so they were both three under and then he makes a bogey on 17 and and ends up losing by two but that was a that was a pretty interesting leaderboard because you had duvall phil and tiger who were all kind of kind of right there uh, until glover ended up winning and Kyle Porter's campaign against David Duvall and the war rages on as he calls out his triple bogey at three that blew an opportunity to win the 2009 U.S. Open. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, That's I hilarious. haven't. I have not forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So, so like, the, the fun of this is you get to see the flow of it. Like, looking at the scorecard yes. on the final round, you can kind of recreate the... You, you can recreate the way that the... Um, the, that afternoon, that classic Sunday afternoon played out. Yeah, totally. And you can see that Phil Eagle 13 to get to four under. So he's like tied for the lead and yeah, it, I love looking back at this stuff. I think it's so interesting. I think, I think the historical context is another story that we kind of struggle or, or fail to tell sometimes in, in the world of golf. Holy right. All right, let's go. Trivia time. Tuesday trivia. Am I am, am I on the hot seat right now with the buzzer? Yeah, you're on the hot seat. Okay. We're gonna go. We're gonna run through this pretty quick because we got Sean Martin coming up. But uh, got some got some interesting ones in here. So um, Tuesday trivia. Shout out to Morning Drive Golf Channel's Morning Drive. Um, I had fun doing that with them. But let's go. Uh, so. The Wells Fargo Championship, which is being played this week, has been around since 2003. There's been some really interesting names that have won it, some really good names. Do you know the only two players to play in every Wells Fargo since 2003? Phil Mickelson? No, it's a good guess because he's had a ton of success here. Um, since 2003? Yeah. Um, James Hahn. What was that? James Hahn. <laughs> no. James Hahn was like eight years old in 2003. <laughs> um, you're, you're, I'll, I'll, I'll take you off the hot seat because there's no way you're going to get it. The, these names are incredible though. Rory Sabatini. OG Rory. 
And yeah, OG Rory and JJ Henry. Purple Mamba. Who is JJ Henry? For, look him up, dude. He's a he's a legend. Tron calls him the Purple Mamba because he wears purple all the time. JJ Henry. Wow. Yeah. He's, yeah. Um Okay, so next one. Where did in terms of difficult courses on the PGA Tour, where did Quill Hall rank uh, in 2018? Um, I'm going to say third. Uh, it's actually, uh, it was the fifth hardest uh, course on the PGA Tour in 2018. The average score was 71.4. And uh, what's going to be interesting, so, so far this year, that the hardest course has been, uh, or the hardest tournament has been the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which was at 72.4. Mm. So, um, Quail's going to be, Quail's going to be right up there, I think, this week in terms of toughness, which I think actually speaks to like how easy a lot of these courses are. Cause you look at Quail and it's like, it, it's tough, but it's not, you know, it's not like crazy. It's not, it's not that hard. That's a, that's a little bit of a hot take. It's big and brawny and intimidating. Like it's not that hard if you've got them 374 yard Rory drives. Right. That's a good point. And I think sometimes we, 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 um, like all the context we have is based on the leaders of a tournament. Cause those are the players that we watch or that we see on TV the most. We're like, Oh, well this is easy or hard based on, or, or, or anything based on whatever the leaders are doing instead of kind of looking at, at the thing as a whole. Like when an uninformed fan just sees, uh, John Rahm at 26 under and thinks that it was just an easy blitz of a tournament. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of course. Right. Uh, <laughs> so 2013, one of the all-time upsets, My one of my favorite tournaments I've ever covered, Derek Ernst uh, wins the Wells Fargo Championship. I don't know if it was called Wells Fargo then. It's gone through like 25 name changes. My question for you is, does Derek Ernst have another top 10 finish on the PGA Tour? It's yes or no. No. No, he doesn't. Okay. <laughs> no. How about that? One top 10 finish, and it was a win, and it got him into the Masters. And not only was it a win, it was a win in a tournament that is had great names. I think Phil was in it. Rory was in it. The the Not Sabatini, although he was in it too, apparently. Uh, I mean, it, Ricky. Ricky was the defending champ that year. And Derek Ernst when beats David Lynn in a playoff, gets into the Masters, and he doesn't have a top 10 finish since then. He's got like four top 10s on the web.com, and that's it. Trivia back, just, get, trivia back at you. Over, under, Derek Ernst currently, or, or, or I guess it could be yes or no. Do you believe that Derek Ernst is currently in the top 75 on the web.com tour? Well, I know he's ranked 830th in the world because I went on a deep dive this morning. On Derek Ernst. Uh, I will say top 75 web doc. I'll say no. Yeah, he's 78th. Jeez. It's a, it's a weird deal, man. Pro golf is weird. 
pro golf is very very weird we'll get into uh all the, the the strange stories the overlooked stories we spend a lot of time talking about the guys who matter but what about pjtour.com's sean martin he's always got his eyes on uh some of the below the fold interesting stories uh we will get into that and much more with him right after this it's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky. As, as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there. And I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four, our listeners, uh, first time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, Not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out, viore.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between. But solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code first at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. And now we are pleased to welcome back to the First Cut Podcast, a frequent contributor, friend of the show, loyal listener. We appreciate his comments always. He tries to keep us accountable. He is at the Wells Fargo in Charlotte, North Carolina. Sean Martin, uh, PJTour.com. Sean, how are we doing? Good. I put First Cut contributor on my Twitter bio, if I may. You, you would definitely get in trouble for that in this content environment. <laughs> oh, friend, how are we doing? Uh, you could probably put a host. Probably. Um, hey, but before we'll, we'll get you out of here in a little bit, we'll ask Sean his, uh, his picks to win and uh, sort of thoughts about what's going to be coming up in, in the action at Wells Fargo. He'll be a part of the PJ tour featured group coverage. But one of the things that I feel like you've got your thumb on 
uh, just the entire landscape. We often get caught up in the 12 who matter or the, the stars at the top. We can, we can get lost uh, try, trying to imagine what it's going to be like when Tiger wins the next 12 major championships. So just you know, from that, uh, that wide-ranging view of the PGA Tour, Sean, what are, what's a, a story or maybe a storyline or a player? What's something that stands out to you that you think uh, is getting overlooked right now? I think, uh, and we come back to this a lot, but this might be a topic we discuss on every time uh, I'm up here, but I think Xander Shoffley, right? Guy's got two wins, runner up at the Masters. Uh, I mean, what is he, 25 years old? Uh, seven years out of high school, class of 2011. I mean, he actually, he's right now he's probably having the best season out of all the kids in the class of 2011. Uh, he's the cream of that crop, and that's crazy to think about for a guy who went to San Diego State, wasn't highly recruited, had to go to the web tour, um, that kind of stuff. But I think that season is not getting enough attention. That's a good point. And he's one of the guys we, we talked about this yesterday. He's one of 10 players to make the cut at the last five majors. And, I heard that. Uh, it's it performance was embarrassing. I'm guessing the members of that list. I mean, it was hard though. How many could it you was. have got? Well, I looked it up, so I knew the answer, but got, yeah, it, got to do research. Yeah. Got to prepare, but no, I, it is weird. We don't. I, he just. It, he's not a name that pops in your head. And maybe that's because he hasn't won a major. Maybe it. I. I don't. I don't know why. He's not. He's not flashy. He's not like super fun to talk about. Like somebody like Spieth or Rory. But uh, I don't know. I think do he might be, I think he doesn't have that storyline. He doesn't do something incredible. Like he, he doesn't have that one thing that we can like latch onto for like the general fan. So like Spieth, it's the success since he was sixteen. And we saw him with the Byron Nelson, and it's the crazy putting. Uh, in 2015, and then, you know, the iron play after that. So, Steve will always be known for 2015, no matter what else he does, and, and we can talk about that. And he's someone we saw grow up, really. You saw him on TV when he was 16. Justin Thomas, kind of the same thing, you know. He made a tour cut when he was 16, and he's got this, the swing where he's coming out of his shoes and bombs it. Uh, so, they all have these things that we kind of latch onto these storylines. Xander doesn't have that as much. It's a real solid game. There's not one aspect of his game where you're like, he's amazing. He, you know, Xander is known for it. Um, he just, yeah, he doesn't have, I think, that prepackaged narrative that we, that we love and, and in this content environment makes it so easy to kind of latch on to. Is it also maybe, I You're mean... speaking Chip's language. Yeah. I, this, is your, yeah. this is your deal, Chip. I, I think that we... Are, the narrative. We, we love the narratives. People harp on it when they get overdone, but we love the narratives. We love the easy, you know... Xander Shoffley, comma, Jordan Spieth, comma. You need that, that real quick throwaway phrase after, after the name. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you about the Xander thing. Is there anything else that you feel like is being overlooked, Sean? Uh, I think it's kind of crazy. I have to credit Jeff Cord for the stat. He dropped it on the fried egg pod. But I think he said the average age of winners on tour this season is 33. Yeah, I saw well that. You think about it, Kuchar... Uh, you know, Kuchar's got two wins. If he wins a third time, he'd be the first guy in a decade to win three titles in one season after the age of 40. Um, and I think there's there's so much of this, you know, talk about the youth movement. We always love the youth movement. I mean, that's, that's always been the case in golf for as long as, uh, as long as you can remember. It's just, I think we're always obsessed with youth. Individual sports, we're always obsessed with, like, the hot new thing. Um, and I think there's definitely, we are seeing players have more success younger but now as those guys age a little bit we're also seeing how hard it is to really just consistently put a career together and again proves how much of an outlier tiger is and was just that 
golf's really hard and, and you're not going to win three times a year that, I mean, sometimes just winning once is an accomplishment and, you know, injuries happen, personal off the course things happen. Your game goes away. Your putter gets cold. Like there's just so many little things that can go wrong that, um, you know, we're seeing, seeing it with speed. Um, that's the really, obviously the, the big example, but you know, Justin Thomas's pace of winning has slowed a little bit. Maybe, I mean, he won the FedEx cup in 2017 and, and um, you want to major that year and, you know, you thought he was unstoppable, but, you know, really winning once or twice a year is a very successful career. And if you do that, you're going to have a hall of fame career, but, you know, winning five times a year, like we saw JT and Spieth do at such a young age, we thought they were going to do it forever, but you just can't do it forever. It's not possible. To retire. No, you definitely can't. Uh, speaking of age, do you know, we talked about, Chip and I talked about this earlier. So people who are listening, if they're still listening, will know. Um, but do you know the only two players to uh, appear in every Wells Fargo championship? Uh, I want to say Lucas Glover is one of them. No. Uh, Rory Sabatini? Yes. I knew Rory was one, just because I've been looking at some numbers coming into this. And he's got a pretty good record. He's all over the stats. Uh, good appearance last week with Brian Gay to Zurich. Obviously a, a fan favorite on some of the podcasts we listen to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The other one is the Purple Mamba. Oh, JJ, yes. How how has he played in every Wells Fargo though? I mean, he just he keeps his card every year. I mean, what was it last year, two years ago, I guess, what he bumped Zach Blair by a single point. I think he birdied the last hole of the season to bump uh millennial favorite Zach Blair uh from the top <laughs> one twenty five by a single point. He just keeps his card and just cashes checks. Uh, the M's. Uh, okay, real quick. Uh, more. Uh, this is a question that I've been thinking about for you. Who's going to have more PGA Tour wins over the course of their career? Uh, Colin Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, or Victor Hovland? I got two of my Oklahoma State guys in there. You were tweeting about Morikawa the other day. Hovland's sort of secretly having a, as good or better year than than Wolf is. So I'm intrigued about who you think is going to end up with a better PGA Tour career and, and more wins. The crazy thing with Morikawa is that his worst finish this season is seventh, and he hasn't shot higher than 72. That's insane. In like 31 rounds. Um, I I still think I'm going to go Wolf. You know, I think we you see it like, you know, he was the hot thing two months ago, and then we've already, you know, he has a win for six weeks, and we're like, oh, you know, maybe it's someone else. And I still think, I think with that distance, it's such an advantage. And it's, you know, you gain so many strokes off the tee, you separate yourself from the field, and then it puts less pressure on the rest of your game. So you're hitting wedges and other guys are hitting eight iron. So I think that distance does bode well. There's obviously more to the game than just that. But I think it does give you such a, a head start when you're basically playing a very different golf course uh, from other guys because you are 40 yards closer. Um, so I, I still think Matt Wolf, obviously, he's cooled off a little bit from winning four straight times to start the season, but I still, I still going to go Matt Wolf. Dude, what's the deal with, uh, speaking of elite college players, what's the deal with, uh, Norman Zhang? What a tough, <laughs> it's been a very tough start to the year. Uh, pretty incredible. I think, you know, 19 years old, I think you come out with all those expectations. And I do think that it's a lot of pressure, you know, and, you know, I think he's 19, maybe 20 years. I'm trying to think of what it would be like if I was traveling by myself to tournaments, renting cars, checking in hotels, like 
Yeah, but I'm not. But I'm not. I'm not comparing him to you. I'm comparing him to like Aaron Wise or, true. You know, like these other young guys who are who are doing it. I just randomly picked an or an Oregon player, but sure. I, I I don't know. It's not been good. I mean, he's got one. Uh, so 2019, he's missed every cut except for one. He finished T18 a couple weeks ago on a web event. That's not great. No, I do think a big part of it, I was listening to a podcast, Theo Epstein, the GM of the Cubs, was talking to David Axelrod doing his podcast, and he was talking about how, you know, for all the data and all the analytics revolution, all that stuff, that finally I think we're back to looking at um, just kind of stuff that you can't quantify intangibles, if you will. Um, just the, And one of the things he said was the big adjustment is going from being the big fish in the little pond to the little fish in the big pond. And I think it is shocking for guys when it came so easy and you were just dominating guys and, you know, beating everybody to then getting beat by some 40-year-old guy with a pudgy belly, right? You're like, this, you know, I'm 19. I've got the world by um, – I've got – this strong grasp on everything. I'm dominant. I'm this young prime of my life, athletic, you know, gifted guy. And then some 40 year old dad of three with a belly overhanging his belt beats you by five. And you're like, Whoa, I think that there is a shock to that, but there, that happens. You know, you have, you know, we don't talk a lot about JJ Henry, but he's had his card long enough to play in every Wells Fargo. Uh, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, whereas you do have these young guys who take a couple years to get out here, or, you know, get their card and lose it. And, Obviously, if you looked at it, just the appearance, you'd pick the young guy every day over the, you know, middle-aged guy. But golf's weird that way. So I think that's part of it. I do think, I mean, look, the great thing about golf is everything can change in one week. I mean, Norman Jong is still just one week away from getting his tour card, or maybe two good weeks yeah. from getting his tour card. So, I, you know, I wouldn't cash the, the checks in yet. But, you know, even like, you know, you do look at spend, spending two years on the web is a horrible thing. I think C.T. Pan... He needed a year on Canada and a year on the web. Aaron Wise went through Canada and the web. Um, Sanders spent two years on the web. I think barely missed his card one year. Um, so I think sometimes that extra year on the mini tours, even though it's or lower level tours, even though it's not what we expect for these guys, sometimes it's, it's not the end of the world, even though we can treat it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think I think that's a great point. I think that. I think you you can learn how to be a pro on the web in, in a way that if you come out and you like win in your first five events on the PGA Tour. I mean, Spieth and Spieth's such an outlier. I mean, even JT, what it, was he one or two years on web? He was one. Uh, yeah, he was one. I think yeah, that's the thing. I think those guys are outliers. I think we're seeing that now that um, you know a lot of youth related stats we're getting thrown around in 2015, 2016, 2017 were more about those two outliers kind of inflating the numbers than it was necessarily that golf is going to permanently change and 24 year olds are going to start racking up tour titles at, yeah. uh, like we've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last thing I got, do you want to do your Jorge Campillo thing? Oh, uh, what a great story, man. And this just shows how crazy it is. So, um, Jorge Campillo wins on the European tour. First one in his professional career. Obviously a lot of people are like, so what? I've never heard of the guy. Uh, he was a, <laughs> Two-time first-team All-American his last two years at Indiana. So, ten guy, top ten player in the country in college his last two years. Um, and then it takes him ten years to win as a professional. And I think it just shows that how hard it is to win out there. I mean, this is a guy who 
big things were expected of. You know, he did everything you can do in college, basically. And it took him 10 years to win as a pro. And the thing, too, the the status symbol, I call it, is like the logo-less cap. He had one of those, you know, blank cap, no logo, and a status symbol in that it accurately portrays your status in golf, and it's not good. Um, obviously, because you're not getting someone. That's your prime real estate for sponsorship value, and, and no one's filling it. That's some lost income there. But uh, yeah. just shows how hard it is. That I think there's something to be said for speed. You know, Tiger made it look so easy. JT made it look so easy. Speed made it look so easy, and it's not. As much as we would like it to be, as much as we think that, you know, with all the analytics and all that, that we can figure it out and crack the code and, you know, all of a sudden these 24-year-olds are going to dominate. It just doesn't work that way. Do you know what Pablo Martin is ranked in the world rankings right now? No, but I mean, that that is a name that a lot of people probably don't know, but that is a guy who, he was all everything. I mean, he was probably John Rahm, you know, esque back in 2009, 2010, and, and just has not panned out at all. Yeah, he's uh, 2,027th in the world. Yeah, hasn't hasn't I mean, played an hasn't played an OWGR event since the end of 2017. And yeah, I mean, he was he was he was Oklahoma State guy. He was everything. I mean, he was unbelievable. And uh, people would not have bet on him, uh, you know, having the the professional career that he has. No, and there's so many things into that. I mean, there's. You know, the hard part, too, I think, frankly, is always because you do you need to always improve just to keep pace. Um, but the problem there is when you're always trying to improve, you know, you take one wrong direction and maybe try to change something that you shouldn't change. And it's uh, it can go wrong quickly. But there's always that balance that guys are living of like you need to constantly be getting better. Uh, but by doing so, it can go very worse. too. Yeah, very worse. It's a good way to end it. Uh, Sean, thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Uh, Chip had some technical difficulties. That's why he was not uh, present. He wasn't just on and silent the whole time. That would have been very strange. Um, But no, thanks for your time. Always appreciate it. And I will see you here in a couple weeks at Bethpage. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Okay.